Hey, great to see you today. Last week we started a little mini-series called Why, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. Uh, we understand that the Bible says there's none, not, there's none righteous, no, not one. But what I mean by why bad things happen to good people is a lot of people we know, Christian people, people that are love the Lord, serve the Lord, and tragedy would come in our lives. And it leaves a, a question that shakes our faith. When my daughter, Rebecca, was 13, Rebecca was diagnosed, uh, Linnell, her mom, was diagnosed with breast cancer. And unbeknownst to me, this little girl battled for a number of years why God, and here's what she said in her testimony, why did God allow this to happen to my mom? My mom goes on missions trips. My mom serves in ministry. My mom helps people. Why does this happen? And the why question can undermine our faith. Well, I'm thrilled to say that my wife was healed. from. She's cancer-free today, five, six years, and that's a great thing. But I have a friend who's a pastor like I am, and his wife had brain cancer, and she died. So this is what I want to speak to you about these three weeks. Why do things like, like this happen? And how can Christians uh, keep enduring faith in our life and have some level of understanding? Now last week we talked kind of the basic why these bad things happen. And I want to just mention them again. Firstly, sin and the fall of man. You should listen to this message last week. It's on our, our social media and things if you weren't here but all of the evil in the world can be traced back to the fall in the Garden of Eden. Uh, secondly, evil happens because Satan attacks people. We forget that we're in a spiritual world where there's spiritual warfare. I'm going to talk more about that today. But Satan attacks people like he did Job. Thirdly, our sin opens a door to trouble in our life. It just does. You don't believe it. Look at the paper of people that are wearing orange jumpsuits. They're not there because, you know, they were upstanding citizens. Sin brings us to a place we can't get out of. Lastly, we're in a boat with Jonah. In other words, if someone that you care about, a, a family member, a partner, a child, if they're running from God, it's going to impact you. And then lastly, we saw how in the life of Joseph, God can use something bad to accomplish something good. So this why question, we can see God turn around even the most evil things. Let's talk about uh, why prayers are not answered today. But I, I want to speak first about the Bible teaches unequivocally that God wants to answer your prayers and mine. And I'll say it this way. If our prayers are properly prayed, we can have confidence those prayers will be answered. Um, let me read you a few scriptures here. And when I do like this, I want you to tell me what's on the screen, the next word. Here's what Jesus said about answered prayer. Five different New Testament passages, Mark 11, 24. Jesus said, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it'll be yours. Matthew 21, Jesus said, whatever you ask in prayer, you'll receive if you have faith. There's a condition. Matthew 7 said, ask and it will be given to you. Think of, I mean, this is positive. This is strong. Knock and it'll be open for everyone who asks, receives, and the one, the, those who seek, find, and the one who knocks, it'll be open. John 14, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. The Father may be glorified in the Son. Lastly, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, can you say that again? He will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So this is the foundational starting place for prayer. 
The Bible teaches, Jesus expressly said that you and I can have confidence that our prayers rightly and properly prayed, that God hears and those prayers will be answered. However, how many have experienced that there's a lot of prayers that aren't answered in our life? Come on now, every honest person in this room, the rest of you are a bunch of liars, I guess. I thought all the liars came to Saturday night, but I guess not. Some are here today. No. Uh, you know, if all my prayers, think about just a second. In an Alice in Wonderland world, if all of my prayers were answered, nobody that I know or hear about would ever be sick or die. If all my prayers were answered, all my problems would be instantly solved. If, I, if all my prayers were answered, I'd have plenty of money. And if I, all my prayers were answered, I'd always get a limited ducks. But life is not like that. Somehow unconsciously in our self-centered hedonistic culture, it's like the world revolves around me. And even God and God's capacity to answer a prayer revolves around me. And I think it misses it, misses the point a little bit. Well, many of our prayers are not answered, and there's reasons why. And uh, I want to share with you this today, five reasons why prayers are not answered. And I couldn't just do it in one. Next week, I want to continue it with four or five more. But I think this will help you, and I want you to look at it this way. Imagine a storm blows through your home, you're on a private drive, and uh, trees blow across your road. And you're ready to get from your house. Uh, your, your wife sells real estate. She just closed a big deal. And she's taking you out to somewhere fancy. You're getting ready to go have big time. You're going to go to Dallas or wherever you're going to go. But the storm blows through and you can't get out. If you can imagine your home is where you are. The end of the driveway is the goal of answered prayer. There's trees laying in the middle. You get your saw. You get your tractor. And you, each, you remove each one of these trees or these reasons why prayers are not answered. And when we get these reasons out of the way, we're praying a prayer that is, in, that is consistent with the will of God. And there's a promise in Scripture that those prayers will be answered. Uh, I think it'll help you. Uh, certainly, it's going to provoke us to think. So let's begin. Daniel chapter 10, the first one. Some prayers are not answered because we're experiencing spiritual warfare. I say it this way. The devil or there's demonic presence that's hindering the answer. Now, if you were here last week, you know this is where we started last week. Why do bad things happen? Where did we start? In the Garden of Eden with the fall of man. When Satan came as the tempter, everything fell apart. We also saw how Satan attacked Job last week. So I, I, I reiterate this today because spiritual warfare uh, is around us. We live in a world, particularly if you're under 40, you have been educated in a world that is secular. And if you can imagine if I could draw this huge ring around all knowledge, all information, everything in the known world, everything that is seen, quantifiable, everything that it can be explored with a microscope or telescope, the world basically tells us that's all there is. There is no God outside this circle. There are no angels and there are no demons. But the Bible teaches the opposite. The Bible teaches there is a seen and an unseen world. Sometimes we give too much credit to the devil, but I fear sometimes we give too little. We just assume things happen and that's the way they are. And it could have a spiritual root. So let's go Daniel chapter 10. Uh, the book of Daniel, Daniel, this is his last vision. He's had a, a disturbing vision. 
and he's been praying about it for three weeks, and he's gotten nothing. Here's the dynamic. Uh, he saw an angel in his vision. It appeared as a man, but it was an angel in the vision. And the angel said to him, Daniel, some time ago, as you'll see in a moment, 21 days ago, you decided to get understanding in his prayer and to humble yourself before your God. Since that time, say this with me, God has listened to you. Daniel's been praying 21 days. And the angel said, I have come because of your prayers. But now look at verse 13. But the prince of Persia has been fighting against me for 21 days. An angel, perhaps Gabriel the archangel, was bringing an answer to Daniel, but it was hindered. It was like the roof in a building. How many know a roof is supposed to keep the rain out? And that's what a roof does. Well, sometimes if there's a spiritual cap, God's answer is hindered. It's blocked from coming. And that's exactly what Daniel is, is saying. I want to suggest to you that the world that we live in today has spiritual dynamics everywhere, and we're blind to it. If you look in our politics, I suggest to you there's, there's plenty demons in Washington, D.C. How many would say amen to that? But you, you look at the debate over abortion. We try to sterilize the debate, but recently in the last, I don't know, months, a couple of years, uh, abortionists have come out into the open. A man named Gosnell, a movie was made about his torture house. Another abortionist, I believe he died, and they found baby remains, several thousand babies. He'd take them home in his car. He'd put little babies' feet in jars. It was just demonic. And the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, has prohibited a bill even being voted on that would that would... Uh, uh, preserve the rights of children who survive an abortion to live. In other words, it's called the Born Alive Protection Act, I believe. So, so, so when a child is born, survives an abortion, perhaps a saline abortion, and that child is born, uh, it's like our laws don't provide any protection for it. And we don't even want to discuss it in a society. And I want to suggest to you that is so inhumane, that is beyond common uh, understanding. It is beyond civil discourse. It is infanticide. It is the one thing the paternal society should do that it fails to do. I want to suggest to you that whole realm has a demonic inspiration behind it. The same demonic inspiration that in Moses' day, the uh, Pharaoh had all the baby, male babies killed. In Jesus' day near his birth, King Herod had all the babies killed to and under in a certain area. So there's demonic things in the earth. And in this particular case, this demonic interference stopped Daniel's prayer. 21 days he prayed and nothing happened. Well, listen, many of our prayers are not answered because we quit praying too quickly because the roof is up, are you with me today, and we don't pierce through the darkness. Um, you say, well, pastor, is there something in the New Testament on that? I'm so glad you asked because it is. Ephesians chapter 6. Now, it's about seven verses, but I'm going to begin in verse 11. But the key verse is verse 18 that talks about prayer. But what I want you to see is these verses that lead up to prayer. And they're spiritual. He says, put on all of God's armor. And I want you to think of the Roman soldier going out to battle. So now we're Christian soldiers going out to spiritual battle. Put on all God's armor so you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. So he's got schemes and strategies to fight people. And then he says, verse 12, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. 
In other words, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, she's not the problem. It's the demonic prince behind her that she's being influenced by, though she is responsible and accountable for that vote. But it says we are fighting against rulers and authorities of the unseen world. That's what this prince of Persia was. How many, how many know there's demon spirits that are active in Texarkana, USA? How many know we are not twice as nice as, our, as, as the uh, water tower says? Sometimes we're twice as mean. I mean, you, what, you, if you remember back a while back when Texas was going to get a chance to make alcohol money, I mean, it was just the heck with Arkansas. That was one of the main sources of their revenue. We want that money, and we love you, but we love the money more. I'm just talking. We live in a town, racial hostility. You not think Satan wants to bring hatred and division? See, these things are a part of the fabric of, of, of our community. But then he tells us how to fight against it. And he's going to kind of give us a picture of this Roman soldier. But he says, put on the belt of truth, the body armor, or the breastplate of God's righteousness, on your feet, the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. Shoes are for movement. Movement is for spreading the gospel, peace between God and man. You hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. And then put on salvation as your helmet and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So think about that. You're clothed from head to top. You have a shield and you have the word of God. And the whole thing you do is you do what verse 18 says. You pray. Everybody say it. Pray, but you pray in the Spirit. What that means, inspired by the Spirit, motivated by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit in your prayers. Very important. But you're praying not just in the morning, not just before you go to bed, but you pray at all times on every occasion. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have a job that you know, that you, you know, on your knees 24-7. But what it means, for example, if you're in the medical profession and you're going from room to room down the hallway and uh, before you go in the room, you just inside, you just utter a prayer and say, Lord, help me as I go in. Show me how to help this person. You know, so whatever we do in life, you know, you're going to a class in school. You know, whether you love it or not, you, before you go in that classroom, just say to yourself, inside, this prayer, just say, Lord, help me as I go in this class. Help me in math. Please help me in math today, God. But you're praying. And then he says it this way, stay alert. Or in other words, you're listening to the Spirit and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So this first reason prayers aren't answered is, uh, is because there's demonic interference. And that interference must be, as we read in Ephesians, prayed through with faith, prayed through with the Word of God until you get yourself a breakthrough. See, uh, how many absolutely hate to talk on the phone to a machine? The rest of you, I'd like to have your phone number, please. And I'm going to sell your phone number to telemarketers. I had a problem the other day. I, 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 uh, I wanted some device to uh, 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 cut, the, cut the curse words out of my TV shows, out of my movies. I'm offended by when they drop the F-bomb and all that, but I like movies. And uh, so I, I called a, 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 a retailer, national retailer, and I want to just talk to a person and then have them tell me, uh, we have such advice, here's how much it costs, or we don't have one. I had four options. None of them was a real person. Uh, so I thought I'd do what my credit card lets me do, is I hit zero and I go straight to a person. But it didn't do that. 
So I found myself, I hung up about six times. Uh, I'm a little OCD, and I wasn't going to let them win. So, and I went through each of the options, but none of the options would give me a person. Every option wanted me to go to the website, or it wanted me to tell them, you know, what the, my order status was, or whatever. And finally, I thought, well, this is stupid. I'm just going to call them one more time, and I'm not even going to respond at all. I'm just going to wait. And I put it on speaker, and I was doing my work, and before I know it, this sharp tech person came on the line and said, I'm sorry, sir, but th we don't have anything like that. I said, well, okay, at least you answered my question. And my point is, sometimes prayer is like that. Sometimes there is this demonic artificial intelligence between us and the answer we want, and you just got to fight through to get to the other side. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Um. Let me give you another one, and this is big. Some prayers are not answered because God wants to advance a kingdom purpose that's bigger than our request. In other words, God has something that's bigger than what you're asking for. What you're asking is not wrong, but God has something a little different. Now, Matthew 6, I'm going to look at an Old Testament, an example, but I want to set the tone in the New Testament. I taught you probably nine months ago a seven-week series on how to pray. And we use the Lord's Prayer as a model, not to repeat by rote repetition, but each phrase of the Lord's Prayer to be like a step that we climb in prayer. Jesus, Matthew 6, 9, said, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is the place of thanksgiving. But look at the first petition, verse 10. What's it say? Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. And what's the second petition? Give us this day our daily bread. In other words, before I ask God to help me, I've aligned myself around His purpose and His kingdom. Now, I've got to be honest. If I don't have this kind of guidance, when I go to God, I, I just start with my laundry list. Lord, Rebecca's having a test today. Please help her. Lord, the kids are driving in town tonight. Please let them have a safe trip. Uh, uh, whatever. Lord, show me where to go to lunch today. You know, none of these things are bad. But they're just not, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Their prayer is to help me as I see it, as opposed to seek first the kingdom. Now with that background, let me read you a passage in 1 Samuel 1. The nation of Israel is in trouble. The book of Judges is the context. Uh, the, the book of Judges closes and says every man did that which was right in their own eyes. Now I may know that's messed up like America is today. And from there, God needs a person. God could, you know, wave his finger or he could send an angel, but he doesn't. He sends people like you and I to be the answer of the world's problems. Israel needed a godly leader. The only problem, he couldn't go to Walmart and buy a godly leader. It's a joke, okay? No Walmarts there. 1 Samuel chapter 1. We run into a couple. His name is Elkanah and her, his wife is named Hannah. And they're going to Shiloh to worship God and make their sacrifices. Here's where the story opens, verse 5. The Lord had closed Hannah's womb. Doesn't it sound like God's mean? The Lord had closed her womb. You could find numerous passages in the Old Testament that promised children to those that lived a righteous life. She obviously was, but no baby. But verse 10, in her deep anguish, Hannah did what? She prayed. She prayed. She did the right thing, weeping bitterly. If you have met someone that wants a baby and can't have one, you know the pain they feel. 
Our children's pastors, Michael and Lyric Searles, have been trying to have a baby for a long time and have not been able to. You know, I'm really grateful today for in vitro and all the things that medical science helps with. But how many know sometimes even medical science can't help? But there's a void in the womb of a woman because part of her created purpose was to have children and hold those children and love those children and care for those children. Well, Hannah had that feeling. Verse 11 is the strangest verse. She made a vow or a promise and said, Lord Almighty, Almighty recognizes God can do anything. If you'll just look on my misery and give me a son, I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Now, why in the world did she say that? What that meant was she was literally going to take that boy and she was going to bring him to the temple when he was weaned at three years old and she was going to let him grow up as a priest in the house of the Lord. Why would she say that? Why didn't she say, my husband will bring a double tithe next week if you'll let me have a baby? Why didn't she say, uh, we'll build on an extra room at the back of the church? I mean, my point is she could have said an endless list of things, but the one thing God wanted was the one thing she offered. And I suggest somehow in God's communication with us, somehow we may know this. Well, verse 20, the good news, in the course of time she becomes pregnant, gave birth to a son. 27, I prayed for this child and the Lord granted me what I asked of him, so now I give him to the Lord. And you say, well, gosh, God's mean. He let her have the baby, nurse the baby, cherish the baby until age three. And then meanie God took him away. You're missing verse chapter 221. It says, the Lord blessed Hannah. She conceived, gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And Samuel grew up in the presence of God. I bet after that fifth one came around, you know, and after the messes that fifth baby made and have several in diapers, she probably looked at Elkanah and said, look, I should have put you in the other bedroom two kids ago. <laughs> What's my point? She wanted something that was a good thing, but God said, if you'll let me have it, I'll give you more, come on now, of what you want. But, some, but this child will be sown into the kingdom of God. This was one of the most pivotal prophets of the entire Bible. He shifted a nation from an ungodly path to a righteous path. And as that child grew old, this mother had the joy of knowing that that was her son. And listen, sometimes, friend, our prayers aren't answered because God wants to advance a kingdom purpose that's a little bit bigger than our request. Give him a big hand today. Let me give you another one. Some prayers are not answered because we're asking for the wrong thing with the wrong motive. Now, this is not Hannah. Hannah comes across as someone that was pure. What she asked was a good thing. It was a godly thing. This is about our dark side. And the person, in case you didn't know it, sitting behind you, don't look, but the person sitting behind you has a dark side to them. The person sitting behind you has a selfish side, has an immature side. And sometimes it gets in there and we mix a little God in it and we hope this miracle comes out. That was a pretty good little uh, uh, lead to this next verse. Look at James chapter 4. James is talking to Christians now. He said, do you know where fights and arguments come from? Yeah, my wife starts them. No. Do you know where fights and arguments come from? Don't they come from the... 
selfish desires that war within you. What are those desires warring? Godliness and ungodliness. You want things, but you don't get them. So you're ready to kill somebody. And you're jealous of other people, but you still can't get what you want. Why? You argue and fight. Now, listen to her, to this. You don't get what you want because you don't ask God. What is asking God? Praying. You don't get what you want because you don't pray. But when you do pray, you do not receive. I'm preaching better than you're amening now. You're not even talking to me anymore. You don't receive because the reason you ask is wrong. You want things so you can use them for your own pleasure. Now, first of all, let me say, God is not against pleasure. You know the, the psalm that says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you what? He'll give you the desires of your heart. He comes across in Luke 11 as a good father that likes to bless his kids with good things. But can I tell you, at some point, his kids have to grow up and not be selfish, but be unselfish. And that's reflected in our prayers that we pray. Um, you're, so you're not loyal to God. Here's the root problem. You should know that loving the world is the same as hating God. If you want to be a friend of the world, you become God's enemy. What's he saying, Pastor? He's saying worldliness and, and yeah, worldliness and the, the, the appeal of the flesh can sometimes become more important than God is. And we just want to take God off the shelf, get him to help us, give us what we want. And then when we got it, we put him back on the shelf. You're being pretty quiet now. But sometimes we as Christians get in this, this mode. We become selfish. And, we, and what we need is a change of heart. The problem is a heart problem. Now let me show you, illustrate this in Scripture uh, with Philip. Acts chapter 8, if you want to turn there. Uh, Philip uh, is a deacon. He's left Jerusalem because of persecution. He's in Samaria. And an amazing revival broke out. It is incredible, the revival that broke out in Samaria. Miracles are happening. People are getting saved. And now the picture unfolds. Acts chapter 8, verse 9. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer for many years. You think of psychic hotline on steroids. You think of, uh, you think of uh, uh, magic, but black magic on steroids. Uh, everyone, now verse 10, here's the problem. Everyone spoke of him as the great one. Some translation says the power of God. Think about what this does to a man's ego. Imagine his pride. Everybody wanted his autograph. He was famous. Every restaurant he went in, he was comped. Everybody knew his name. He got the best of everything in life. And he liked being up there. But how many know that throne of life belongs not to ourselves. It belongs ultimately to God. Now, verse 12, the shift. Uh, people believe Philip's message of the good news concerning God's kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ. And look at the incredible thing. Great news, verse 13. Simon the sorcerer believed and was baptized. So now we got a guy that was living in darkness. Now he's living for God. We don't know, though, how many hours or days transpired between the next verse. In the next verse 17, Peter and John from Jerusalem hear about the revival and they come to check it out. Look at verse 17. They laid their hands on the believers and they received the Holy Spirit. Something happened, something that was either visual or auditory, that they could hear, something evidence that the Spirit was there and it was very good. 
Verse 18, Simon saw the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on the people. Now, here's where the problem. He offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too. Now, this is where this selfish, self-centeredness comes in. He says, I want to lay my hands on people so they'll receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter says, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You have no part in this. Your heart, here's the problem, when I'm selfish, when I'm acting in an immature way, when I'm just trying to be like, you know, gimme, gimme, my name is Jimmy. This is where I'm wrong. My heart is not right with God. And the solution, verse 22, is repent. Repentance doesn't mean feel bad. It means turn around. Repent of your wickedness and do what? Pray. So get your heart right first and then pray. And perhaps he'll forgive you of your evil thoughts. I can see that you're full of bitter jealousy and held captive by sin. Bitter jealousy. He was in the role of God in those people's eyes until Jesus came along and then the Holy Spirit came along and he wanted back that place of power. Well, sinful, selfish Christians pray selfishly. It's all about what I want and I'll use God in prayer to get it. I take him off the shelf uh, when I need him and I put him back when I don't. Well, that's just a little something extra. That was for the Saturday night crowd and I just appreciate you hanging with me there for uh, as I talked about them. Let, let, <laughs> you know, you know, every sermon is, is, is a guy standing in front of people talking to himself. You do realize that, don't you? I don't do this, but if I paint, point a finger towards you, I got three waving back here at me. You know, so this is something we all struggle with. But let me give you this last one. I think it's going to encourage you. Some prayers are not answered because of timing. God's answer isn't no, it's not yet. And take this to heart, delay is not denial. Let me set it up, I'm going to read in in the New Testament, but let me set it up with Ecclesiastes chapter 8. It it says, for there is a proper time, everybody say proper time, and a procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. Would it be fair to say there's a proper time for the answer to God's prayer? And while you're waiting, you may be in misery. You know, who wants to go through months of doctor's care? I'd like to just get healed as soon as I know there's a problem. Who wants to go through agony? But this is a part of life. And sometimes this accompanies prayer. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 1. And let me show you what I think is one of the greatest passages in the New Testament of two godly people in the middle of trouble. And they kept praying. There was a priest named Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. Both of them are righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's uh, commands and decrees blamelessly. Now, how would you like to have a reputation like that? You know, I mean, every mama thinks her, 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 her baby is an angel, but how many know the people that go to school with that angel or the people that coach that angel or teach that angel know that that angel, come on, has, has a, a little devil in her? But mama thinks she's perfect. Well, anyway, that's how they were described. But look at verse 17. This three-letter word that I wish wish weren't in the Bible. But they were childless. They were childless because Elizabeth wasn't able to conceive. And now they're both very old. Now, I don't know how old very old is. Let's imagine. You couldn't serve in the priesthood forever and ever. But let's imagine they're in their 60s. She's past her capacity to give birth. 
Uh, let's say they got married before 20, so they've probably got 45 years of wanting to have a baby and couldn't have one. Again, the issue is timing now. 45 years of going to family reunions, and the first five, maybe 10 years, everybody said, when are you going to have a baby? And they said, well, I don't know. We're working on it. <laughs> you know. But after a while... I don't want to go because your mother is going to ask me why she doesn't have a grandchild. They went through this. Then all their family members have kids and they go to the soccer game, but they don't have a kid on the field. They go to PTA meetings, but they don't have any papers on the wall. But still, they're godly. They're blameless. The answer is timing, friend. Verse 9, Zechariah was chosen it's, it's divine encounter time to go to the temple of the Lord. He's going to offer incense. Uh, verse 11, it was at that point an angel appeared to him and said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. This prayer for 40-some years. Elizabeth is going to have a son. You're going to call him John or John the Baptist. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll bring back many people of Israel to the Lord their God. What is the point here? Sometimes my prayer is not answered because God has a timetable. I want it now. I want the baby at 3 o'clock. I'll take 6, but I don't want to wait till 9, and I certainly don't want to wait till 12 o'clock. But how many know, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, came before, give me my daily bread. And two people, can you imagine giving birth to this baby? John the Baptist, scholars, uh, I've read where scholars believe John baptized hundreds of thousands of people. Can you imagine how John and Elizabeth felt? Listen, th th they, they missed some of life. They, don't, they didn't have grandchildren. John didn't get married and have grandchildren. His head cut off. They missed some things in life. But you know what? Reward is coming in heaven. We're not just living for this earth. We're living for what's to come. Their child turned a nation around. Their child leaped in the womb of Mary when she met, uh, leaped in, in her womb when she met Mary, the mother of Jesus. I mean, they were a part of the greatest thing perhaps the world has ever known, but their prayer was hindered for a long time. But somehow they kept living righteously and blamelessly, and that's my prayer for you, and that's my prayer for me. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. And uh, I'm, I'm going to close with this last one. Some prayers are not answered because God has something better for us. If God answered your prayer, you'd get second best. Trust Him with the answer in what you want. Let me tell you a little story. When I was in the Navy, I got saved in the Navy five days after I joined. I was on fire for God. And it had probably been, I don't know, two and a half, three years, and I was in Alaska, Adak, Alaska. And uh, I just figured it was time that I got a girlfriend and I was starting to think about, you know, Miss Miller and getting married. And I met this fine-looking brunette. Fine. That's all I'm going to say about her. Fine. She was a Christian. She had a Bible. She came to my Bible studies. And in my little pea brain, I thought she is perfect. And Uncle Sam, in his infinite wisdom, moved me from Alaska back to California over to Japan. The only problem is she didn't go with me, and I never heard from her again when I left. 
I'm talking about somebody you're talking about, about maybe one day getting engaged to. Now, you think that that's got a little grab to it. We didn't have cell phones back then. I couldn't locate her, you know, on the find my phone thing. I couldn't find her. Uh, I would call, and she would never be at the phone. I'd send presents. They'd come back. Finally, I'm in Japan. I put God to the test. I pray. I fast. I believe God. I make my confession to everybody. She's writing me today, and Mrs. Miller is going to come back in my life. There's nothing. I got mad at God. I showed him I didn't go to church for two weeks. I'm telling you the truth. But at some point, you come to the place where you say, where else shall I go? He has the words of life. And there was a scripture that defined me from the day I became a Christian. It was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, even if the fine lady doesn't call you back. But in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll give you a better wife. Now, it didn't say he'll give you a better wife. It says he'll direct your paths, but he did. He directed me to Linnell. I didn't even know Linnell was on the planet. But rather than marrying a dental technician, I married a spirit-filled, prophet, prophesying, preaching, missionary, doing, you know, serve God woman that's the easiest person to live with I've ever met in my life that loves me the way that I am, and that's a hard thing to do. All I'm telling you is, if God would have given me what I wanted, it wouldn't have been as good as what he had in mind. Give him a hand. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand to your feet with me today? We all ra we'll wrap this up next week. I hope you got something out of this today. Because God is a good God. Stay with me now just a moment. God is a good God. And God is a prayer answering God. And just because my prayer wasn't answered doesn't mean God's still not good and future prayers won't be answered. I want you to bow your head just a moment. I want you to have a private moment with God. And I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would awaken something in our prayer language right now. Come on, I want you to pray with me for yourself. For many of us, if you're here today, listen, nobody looking around, but just a moment. If you're here today and say, Pastor, you've been talking to me this morning. I struggle with that why thing. Wave your hand at me today. Real high. Just wave it. Just wave it. Yeah. Yeah. You know something when that why thing gets in there. You don't pray as much, do you? You quit praying. You slow down. It affects you. It affects your faith. Makes you even question God sometimes. I want to pray that that's just going to be blown away. I'm going to pray that you're going to have a brand new, I'm going to pray that you're going to have the faith that you did when you were saved. I'm going to pray that there's going to be a renewed confidence in God. That as you and I will take that chainsaw and cut those trees out of the road that are reasons why prayers are not answered. Before we know it, we're going to be prayers that are in alignment with the word of God and the will of God and the timing of God. And prayers are going to be answered all around us. That's my prayer, Holy Spirit. I want you to ask the Lord right now to awaken that in you. Help me, Holy Spirit. Help me when I pray. Let my prayers be effective and powerful. Let me pray the will of God. Forgive me for my immaturity and my selfishness. Help me fight against the devil and not put my sword down. And if I'm a Hannah, if I'm a Elizabeth, let me know that God is still good even when my arm and cradle is empty because it's a matter of timing. It's a matter of you've got something better in store. 
So welcome, Holy Spirit, today. In Jesus' name. Here's how we're going to close. We're going to have one last song, and then we'll dismiss. I'm going to ask during that song, we're going to have a prayer team come down, and they will pray with you about anything you'd like prayer for. It could be something this message sparked or unrelated. But if you want prayer before you go, there's people here to pray for you. But the most important prayer we'd like to pray is for those that are here today that would say, Pastor, I just need a real relationship with God. Maybe you're here today and you're honest enough to say, Pastor, I'm away from God. If that cross, as it does, represents Jesus, you've not been living your life getting closer to him. You've been going this way. And then you'd go this way and you'd back up a little bit. and You might look over your shoulder every once in a while, but you just live for yourself. And you found that there's emptiness at the end of that pathway. You found that the things that you thought would satisfy, money, success, uh, relationships, alcohol, drugs, whatever it may be, was like pouring water in a bucket with a hole in it, and it's full for a while, but it drains out. I want to tell you, friends, in our hearts, there's a God-shaped hole that's only made for relationship with God. You and I were created by God. You're not an accident. You're more than just the product of conception. God was involved in the design of your life, and He has a plan for your life. But you've got to turn around and begin to follow Him. I made a step to Christ when I was 19, August 15, 1976. It had been growing in my heart for a number of weeks, a desire for God. And finally, somebody told me what I'm telling you right now, that if you would believe in Christ to save you if you would ask him to forgive you and here's the big one if you would turn and follow him he'd change your life he'd not only give you a better life now but eternal life in the world to come I latched on to it and I started following Jesus on that day and I've been doing it now 40 something years and can I tell you it's the best decision I ever made in my life and if you're here today and what you need is a real relationship with God we want to pray for you For some, it may be the first time you've ever prayed to invite Christ in your life. For others, you could have walked with the Lord, but just got away for whatever reason. But today, you want to recommit your life to Christ. I'm going to ask if you're here today to get right with God. When they start playing, if you just slip out of your chair and come to the cross. There's something powerful about walking away from the world and walking towards Jesus. I promise you we won't embarrass you. People would clap for you, be excited for you. We're going to pray with you and give you something that's going to help you because life gets better when Jesus is in the center. Come on. Yeah, go ahead and begin to sing, Pastor Zach. He's going to begin singing. Prayer team, come to the front right now. They are here for you in these closing moments. Most importantly, if you need to get your life right with God, we'll see you at the cross. I promise you, you'll never regret it. I love you and thank you for coming. Sing with us this last song before you go. Come.